Hello, I am C-3PO, and I believe the storyteller is ready, so let us begin. Oh, hello. I am C-3PO, human-cyborg relations, and you are? What? Well, I am quite certain I would remember if I had a best friend. You want to put what in my head? We pick up this 20 with a reunion from the original heroes of Star Wars, C-3PO and R2-D2. Of course, 3PO's mind is still wiped. He introduces himself to R2. R2's like, what are you talking about? You're my best friend. He says, I think I would remember if I had a best friend. So R2 uh, basically uploads his old memory back onto 3PO and 3PO then uh, meets the other heroes. That is to say, um, the resistance and reports back that R2 is very strangely getting a transmission from Luke Skywalker's X-Wing fighter, which, of course, is thought lost. And uh, that's when they realize that it's Rey, who not only has uh, acquired Luke's X-Wing, she is creating a trail that they can then follow to uh, Exegol so that they can engage in this battle. So using that piece of information, as well as the information on Exegol that they've collected from Dio, uh, they take their plan, they make it, and that Lando is going to gather the rest of the galaxy, um, and they'll hopefully come help them this time, uh, while the rest of the rebels go to Exegol to take out the navigation that the Star Destroyers will use to exit the atmosphere. Uh, Ray arrives in Exegol and uh, goes down the elevator thing into the, the big dungeon, uh, and then our rebels arrive at Exegol into the atmosphere, uh, the First Order switches off the ground navigation when the Rebels go to take it out. Uh, and then Finn clues in because of a feeling that they need to go land all their horses on the lead Star Destroyer because it's now transmitting the navigation uh, because Pride decided, let's switch it up and we can just guide our way out of here. Ray follows her instincts through the caverns of Exegol. Uh, she eventually stumbles upon, of course, the throne of the Sith, which is quite striking to her. And then from behind her, uh, out lurks Palpatine, who uh, explains to her, listen, I never wanted to kill you. I wanted you to take over my legacy. You are the rightful heir to the throne of the Sith. Uh, what I want you to do, <clears throat> excuse me, is strike me down so that my power goes into you and we will be one and uh, we will rule the galaxy as uh, grandfather and granddaughter and all the same platitudes as before. Um, she's, of course, pushing back, but she's quite overwhelmed by the emotion of this. Meanwhile, back up in the sky, uh, things are not really going well. And that is a classic Palpatine uh, motive of manipulation where he opens up the ceiling and says, well, look, your friends kind of need your help, but you're probably going to have to do what I say. Yes, if she were to strike him down in anger, she then becomes empress uh, with all of the Sith, including uh, her grandfather and the powers that they have within her. Uh, and that if she's emperor, she can just call off the fleet and save her friends, further taunting them that it's the, her new family, that she has no blood. Um, and then as Rey is looking up, she realizes Ben Solo has arrived. And so she decides she's going to stall Palpy for a minute. Uh, ben gets below surface, uh, takes out a few guards, uh, doing some very Han Solo-esque things, and then faces off against the Knights of Ren, throwing them around a little bit with the Force, but he's kind of cornered, and then some Force time happens. Uh, Rey raises her saber in the midst of this ritual that Palpatine has started to strike Palpatine down, and as it's behind her head, she hands it off to Ben to finish off the Knights of Ren, which he does in quick order. <laughs> and they have... Together, uh, a brief moment of being triumphant badasses, but ultimately they're brought before Palpatine, who does, in fact, 
uh, best them momentarily. He kind of sucks out their energy, discovers that they're a dyad, and then announces his plan to instead do away with them and remain the one true emperor forever. Meanwhile, up in the sky, really seems like the Resistance's goose is cooked, only then uh, Lando arrives with basically every good guy spaceship in the galaxy, and finally there's a fight to be had. And I think that's the 20. Yeah, it is. Uh, Snap dies, uh, and that's really one of the final things that has Poe giving up um, when Lando arrives at that perfect time. Um, although it was interesting. I mean, yes, that was everything, but in terms of Snap, Snap's death, He's the only good guy who dies, and that's some pretty low effing stakes. Aside from Leia, but that is really hard to count because it's not the same thing um, because she kind of had to. Is it like a really big emotional unload that Snap Wexley dies? Like, is that really meant to be that compelling? I mean, I realize no, that, it, but that it's he's a big deal for Poe. Po's, yeah, he's supposed to be Poe's wingmate. And yeah. so it's basically like Poe is like, he's kind of, he's lost at this point. And then, oh, his best friend just died other than Finn. And so they're really totally screwed. Um, but it's also a moment where Poe's also being a, a, a shitty leader as he tends to uh, once in a while. Well, what do you mean by that? Because I actually found, in spite of a little bit of corny dialogue, I think it's a pretty good Poe 20. Uh, I mean, he has some like some Braveheart moments. We've got friends out there. They'll come if they know there's hope. They will. First Order wins by making us think we're alone. We're not alone. Good people will fight if we lead them. He's acting well when he's like really defeated. He's not being a wet blanket is what I mean. True, but in my opinion, he's doing the exact same thing he does in The Last Jedi. It just works this time. But he's, he's going in. Yeah, but he's going in guns a-blazing with being, but being totally outnumbered, being totally outmatched without really a plan, just wanting to blow shit up and hoping that luck and backup will come which they're lucky this time it does. But he almost like, he just says like, try to stay alive guys. And then like they're all dying off. It's, it's, it's a terrible plan. It's a really terrible plan. Um, but it does go right in the end. So you got that going for you for sure. At one point he makes a comment that what our mothers and fathers fought for won't be in vain. It's part of this like greater Braveheart speech that he delivers. <laughs> and it's kind of nice because I know through you that he is like a child of resistance fighter parents. And so like that's specifically what motivates that line. Um, it's just like yeah. a nice little and very rarefied backstory for the character of Poe, who we all like, but is not a well-developed character. And we see that in this movie where they suddenly try to give him a backstory and it feels very rushed and confusing. Um, but like this moment where he talks about mothers and fathers, that's a much richer area than, oh, he used to have a girlfriend. Yeah, it's a very JJ-driven um, notion. Yeah. He used that a lot in the press tour, talking about the sins of the father uh, and this generation having to take up the mantle and all of the, the, all of the good, but all of the really, really horrible of the past uh, and then having to deal with that. And so the fact that, yes, they, they fought for it, but at the same time, all that evil's still here, so you kind of, it's still on the line sort of moment. That was, a, JJ did a good job of wanting to represent that. And this speech does uh, a good way of doing that without being too expository, like a couple other things, like the like the dyad, for example. Absolutely. How do you feel about Finn in this 20, who couldn't be more clearly force sensitive, but it kind of dispels our previous question about whether or not Jana was also force sensitive, because she's like, how do you know? And he's like, a feeling. A feeling. I hate that <laughs> not so great. much. Because the great. amount of times they use a feeling in this movie is crazy. And Jana is just 
oh, I'm going to stick with you. And she's she's as useless (laughs) of a character as anybody. And the fact that she's got a bow and arrow, she takes out like one guy and everybody else is with blasters. And she just takes out like one flying Sith trooper. So that's kind of useless. I kind of wonder a little bit. the plan is really terrible with the horses. Oh my God, I hate the horses. Honestly, why are, are they called Orbox? Is that what they are? Yeah. Why are the Orbox even there? Why did they bring along uh, like a trailer of horses? A feeling. A feeling. Right. (laughs) That's that's the answer to everything. And that's what I really hate because, oh, they needed to bring the horses in the landing, like in the lander, so that they could land on the Star Destroyer a good 200 yards away from where they needed to so that they could then ride the horses towards it as opposed to just landing where they needed to. I kind of wonder a little bit if Kelly Marie Tran resents Naomi Aki at all because she kind of she, she kind of stole her job in this movie. I mean, it's not her fault. She just took a good gig, but like she kind of stepped in for her role in the film and she's no better. She's no. certainly a no richer character. And um, actually, I kind of find Kelly Marie Tran a little bit badass in this 20 in particular, but she's so downsized in favor of Naomi Aki's character who's just as bad, but she got none of the heat that Kelly Marie got. Oh, none, none whatsoever. And that's the thing. It's she's being kind of glanced over as not really a, I think the people who have problems with this movie, she's low down on the reasons that there's problems. And the people who don't like to acknowledge that there's problems in this movie would not acknowledge this either in that regard. And so it's something that if you asked anybody a question about it, I'm sure most of us agree because it's it's just not a good character. She doesn't have any, like, you, we just don't care about her at all. And she just has a weird look and her weird, like, semi-force-sensitive crew of stormtroopers. And, like, she's the one who rallies them. Not It's, it's yeah, it's just bad. And this shoehorn thing that's coming for next week's podcast about her maybe being related to Lando. Now I did I did like Lando. It's very gratifying to see him fly the Falcon yeah. with Chewie. That's a nice moment. That Ninum actually I have Ninum as one of the favorite lines. because uh, I forget what it's in response to, but basically it's Finn uh like saying, if there's enough of us, but there aren't enough of us. Right. And then Poe's response of like, well, this is where we're bringing in Lando. But it was a good answer from Ninum, I thought. It was good to see him and Wedge and bringing the, the whole crew back there. And so you get to see the Tanta V4 and all these other uh, just rebel spaceships. Every spaceship that has ever been created in Star Wars uh, that has not been for the Empire um, or the First Order, I believe, was used in that shot. And just like one of the all-time great John Williams moments, honestly, like to to lean mm. back to the original theme, the original main Star Wars theme, when Poe's like, we can't do it, there's just too many of them, and then Lando says over the intercom, there's not more than us, there's not more than us, Poe, and then we get to see that beautiful sky, and it's the main triumphant theme of Star yeah. Wars. Just, it's but like, there are more of us, Poe, more of us. It's very it's evocative. It feels, yeah. it feels wonderful. I'm sorry. I thought we had a shot. Too many of But there are more of us, Poe. There are more of us. No, that is a really good line, and that is a, a really great moment. And I also absolutely love the line 
It's not a navy, sir. It's just people. That has always been among your your highlights of this entire movie. You've said that since it the is. very beginning. And I don't necessarily disagree, but can you speak a little bit to why that is so impactful to you? In my opinion, it's one of the only things this movie does in a, like an absolutely exquisite job of is really trying to relate things back to the real world and trying to find themes within current political systems and the current way that people feel and the downtrodden systems of the world uh, and the oppression that just exists and how people, good people, can do good things. And if people lead with good intention and good people are reaching out, Lando's got a track record in that regard. It, it's just, it's a really, like, I'm not necessarily game for how they got any of those people. It seems kind of insane that they got all those people to come so quickly. Uh, but I think it's really powerful that it's not a Navy and that it is just people rising up for um, taking back the galaxy, what they care for, and that it isn't just uh, these couple people who are doing all of the work for everybody else. It is a beautiful way to convey that message in a, a line of dialogue that's like really only six or seven words long. Like it's so tight mm. and, and, and you're right, broadly applicable. But if the other main theme of this movie in particular is you can choose your own family they um they do such a poorer job of conveying that message and an example is in mm. this 20 and now we can uh, talk about palpatine if you want he says master luke oh, skywalker yeah. was saved by his father the only family you have here is me you're just so clearly trying to put uh luke skywalker and your family in the same sentence so we st kind of plant the seed that like well maybe she's going to choose her own family and really she's a skywalker all along or maybe I'm I'm over reading into that, but I've just I'm okay no, with the premise of, of found family. I think it's been kind of done to death in like everything, but I, I think it's fine except for that the line feels so forced. We've seen Return of the Jedi. I don't know who you're saying this for the benefit of. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't work, and the the family lines is a very important thing in Star Wars, uh, but I don't know if it's if it's done in a great way with Ray, I think they really tried. And I think by, by connecting her to Palpatine, it just doesn't work. You get the exact same benefit if her parents are actually nobody. Yeah. It's, if not a little bit better, if they're pathetic and nothing, as opposed to being like heroically dead and that she's from like royal clone blood. And it's just like, it, it's, it doesn't really... It doesn't add anything. You can tell this, there's a beautiful, actually, there's a beautiful poem written about the series of Star Wars. I gotta find it and I can read it on here sometime. It's a beautiful poem and it summarizes family connection in Star Wars. And it doesn't even mention that Ray's a Palpatine, but it summarizes character and family perfectly. Yeah. Because it's not a necessary thing. That she chooses her own family in the end is what matters. Not that she was a Palpatine. And right. you're right in the way that they kind of shoehorn it in, associating it with the Palpatine thing. It does feel really forced. I'm sorry to do this because I always do, but it's just occurring to me now that Ray's parents are James and Lily Potter. And it's so consistently important to Harry mm. that his parents be looked upon as heroes because they got in the way of the evil and their baby and they made sure that their baby was safe. And that's exactly what happened to Ray. But until there was more story to tell... We don't care about these people. And as it turns out, there is no more story to tell in the case of Ray. And so if mm. there were to be some like epic side comic about how Palpatine's clone son, Ray's father, was this like 
badass dude who did all kinds of heroic uh, things, mm. then we might be able to appreciate a little bit more her belonging to that lineage and, and wanting to preserve that, that legacy. But also it doesn't matter now because she's kind of walked away from it. Exactly. That's the thing. She has walked away from that past. And so the fact that her parents were good people doesn't matter. Not because really. Because she's rejected that entire past. And so it kind of is important for her parents to not matter. Uh, and it does, and this is the sort of thing that uh, goes against, I think, some of the principal elements of The Last Jedi. Um, I think you could have done it better in execution because I wasn't necessary. I, I still went into this movie not thinking her parents were nobody. I was pretty confident about that. Uh, I mean, th I thought there was a chance her, the, the people who she thought were her parents were nobody uh, or something along those lines. Uh, but going into this movie, we were all kind of thinking, oh, they're going to do it something differently. Like, but the way that they go about, I mean, quote unquote, retconning The Last Jedi, which it's not what it is, it's developing further, but it's just, it is weak. It's, it's not better than the way it's explained in The Last Jedi. That moment with her and Kylo is a far better moment than you're a Palpatine. So is is what Palpatine describes of his plan initially to Rey in this 20, what his plan always was, like he has always committed himself to training some new iteration of a badass, whether it's mm. like a beast or an assassin or, or just a great fencer, or in the case of Rey, you know, the most powerful force figure in the galaxy. Like, was his goal always train the body up and then possess that figure? Or is that just kind of his new plan because he happens to be related to Rey? So there's a lot of really interesting stuff here. And this is some of the stuff that I like because it allows me to still um, try and puzzle piece and theorize and figure out how things make sense because this is the story now. And that's the way you have to kind of view those things. Yeah. And so this is, like, but also from a critical perspective, uh, my second, I'd say, other than how he came back, my second biggest gripe about this movie is how dumb Palpatine is. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I understand that his plan uh, makes sense to be double-sided. He has Kylo, that if Kylo kills Rey, great. He did what he asked, and I can take that body. Finally get a good Skywalker body. Or he can have Rey come to him, and even better, I now get my own bloodline body, uh, who's proven that she has the Force, so that's, thank God, somebody in my lineage was able to have the Force. And that's a little bit more up my alley that it's my blood anyway. So fuck the Skywalkers finally. Fuck right. them. I get my own. Right. And so that's great in his regard. I think he gets really excited about that. But the reason why I hate it is because he doesn't know about the dyad. And that just means <laughs> Palpatine is not the omniscient presence that we've led him to be. The only reason why we're accepting him coming back in this movie is because he's been the omniscient presence who knows literally everything and has outsmarted everyone, including the audience. Yeah. But he doesn't know this. Seriously? It does seem like he someone gets, he should gets have He gets lucky known. that that's how he comes back. He gets lucky that the two of them said, nah, we're going against you. But he's like, ooh, crap. Ooh, look at this. Ooh, <laughs> my fingers are coming back together. The two restore the one. <laughs> like, uh, it's, it's just really bad. But I do like the notion of, was this always something? And this has been a great theory people have had. Was this always something Palpatine intended? Was the reason why he tortured Vader so much because he truly hated Anakin Skywalker for destroying the body of Anakin Skywalker. Ultimately, why he hated Obi-Wan even more, because Obi-Wan was the one that, that actually did it. Right. But in the sense of resenting uh, Darth Vader for not being powerful enough to kill him and not being powerful enough to be the body that they both became. Wow. Because this new way of talking about Star Wars 
Palpatine is every Sith ever. Yeah. He has consumed them because Plagueis consumed all the previous ones before. Darth Vader was never strong enough to take over Palpatine. So Palpatine could never get the body of Anakin or even like the cyborg, cyborg kind of body of Vader, which he kind of didn't really want. And that's why he wanted to ride it out until he could get Vader to bring Luke aboard and then discard Vader. Here's a question on that. Does he also possess the spirit of Darth Vader if we view that as a separate spiritual entity than Anakin Skywalker? When that evil left the dying body of Anakin Skywalker, did it go into the wilting Palpatine and like uh, bolster his his evil? No, I wouldn't think so because of the way Palpatine died. Palpatine is dead at that point. Right. And Vader dies after. True. And so I would interpret it that Palpatine doesn't really have that capability. Um, and also Vader died pure of heart. He didn't kill him out of out of anger. Yes. He, he, he just he, he killed him to save his son. Right. And so that kind of that's also another reason why the next 20 is, is, is tough is because that's a way better ending than I'm using my two lightsabers to reflect your lightning back. <laughs> it's much better to have the father throw the emperor down and save his son. It is kind of nice when he, himself. when he points to the sky, though. It's just like Return of the Jedi in a, in a very yes. in a very like celebratory way. It's the it's same also thing. Just, it's just like The Last Jedi when Snoke does it as well. Oh, it's yeah. JJ saying, are you kidding me, Ryan? No, I wanted to mirror that one. Right. No, I'm going to do it again. <laughs> Except this time, it's going to be blue. Mm -hmm. I hate how much blue and the shit lighting that is in this 20. This is the end of all of Star Wars and JJ needs to use his stupid thematic blue and like these dark weird hues so that we can't actually see what the hell's going on. This whole just so trilogy, that it can match his poster. This whole trilogy has been obsessed with the colorization of these Star Wars movies way more than it's necessary. Way more and it's really yeah. frustrating. The Force Awakens not so much. Less so I um, guess. It's got a nice diversity of snow and and sand and and jungle in that regard. Whereas these, they really like trying to mirror Exicle or Crate as like the the planets that's the standout in everything. Right. Um. Now this is kind of a silly question. This is my last thing about Palpatine. What exactly would Ray theoretically be Empress of? Like the, I, it occurred to me today that that maybe we do need more like talk of politics and world building in this trilogy yeah. because there's like there's really no established civilization remaining in the galaxy and there's no existing political framework and so like though people are afraid of the emperor and he has the power to slay them and mm. he does have an army of like whether it's clones or or sith spirits or or i guess you know uh, legion general pride type guys he has mm. people who answer to him but I'm not sure who they govern. So that's kind of the way it is. So Palpatine, they're trying to point this as the final order. Right. And so, i.e., this is the end of his big giant plan. And he has all these Star Destroyers that are populated uh, and run by uh, people from Exegol. And he's had these people within the first order who are plants, mm -hmm. like General Pride, essentially willing to, because he's allegiant to General Pride, they show their allegiance to the emperor and they switch the first order to become it's the empire, the empire again. That's exactly what it's doing. Uh, once those star destroyers leave the atmosphere, the empire is back. That's what they're trying to convey uh, because those star destroyers literally can blow up a planet. So if anybody tries to get in the emperor's way of exploring the dark side 
of like of enriching himself in mining, doing any anything he wants. Uh, just pure control of everything. The ability to blow up a planet just on a Tuesday if that's what he wants to do. Because <laughs> that's what Emperor Palpatine, he doesn't care. Right. He just wants control and power. It doesn't even matter if it's of a political system at this point because he's so far gone into the Sith world. Mm -hmm. He now is putting the Sith above the political side of things. And so this Sith eternal fleet, I mean, like, General Pride is like they're referring to like the Sith fleet and the Sith troopers. The Sith is now, um, that seed was never part of the Empire. It was never a visible symbol of the Empire. Right. Uh, in this new Empire that Palpatine's trying to create, the Sith is the leading element of it. So as this, it's, a, it's the Empire, but it's the Sith Empire. And so she would be the Empress, the, the lead Sith, and she would be in charge of every Star Destroyer. So tens of thousands of Star Destroyers that could blow up planets and millions and millions of soldiers. And so she would ultimately have a military force that would be strong enough to take on any military force ever uh, under any circumstances, except for, you know, the fact that just some randos can show up and blow up all the Star Destroyers later in this 20. And inevitably, inevitably that will happen. Okay, we got to yeah. talk about uh, Ben Solo, who is, of course, I think the highlight of the 20. It just, oh, yeah. just seeing his physicality makes you long for the Ben Solo you didn't get to see enough of in this trilogy, which is fine because it's not like he was bad as Kylo Ren. God, no. But no, like, absolutely but he's just, he's just wonderful. I mean, like, I know it became the meme of this 20, but the Ben, mm -hmm. but the Ben shrug is badass. Oh, absolutely! And the way it mirrors Han, yes. uh, and Han's shrug on Endor, and then also that he, when he shoots the guard behind his back without looking, like Han does on uh, Takodana in the Force Awakens. So that's always good. And sending and the lightsaber to him is is an amazing moment. It's I was talking with my friend Duncan the other day, and he says, "Look, all I ever really want from a Star Wars movie is a moment where I go, the Force can do that." And yeah. I'm like, that's a beautiful way to look at it. And yeah. this is that moment in this movie. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it was greatly foreshadowed by the raindrops in The Last Jedi. Yeah. Uh, and, of course, by the the Vader helmet earlier in this movie um, and then the beads earlier in this movie. So it, it really is a, a great moment to see him kind of come into his own uh, and start to... Like, it's it's this character that you, you like. He feels like a different person, like the ow. Yeah, uh, and he's kind of getting his ass kicked by the Knights of Ren, but then just completely discards of them uh, by like doing these flips and quick moves and and nothing like these angry slashes that he did as Kylo Ren. Uh, and that saber handoff, especially after the moment in the Force Awakens of that lightsaber, it belongs to me. Yeah, and then Ray finally gives it to him. So she does give yeah. him the Graflex, and she holds on to Leia's. Yeah, yeah, I she has Leia's behind her back. Okay. And at what point do the Knights of Ren turn on Ben? I, like, when did they get the memo that he's not Kylo Ren anymore? Uh, Palpatine must have submitted that and had it uh, kind of, you know, distributed out amongst the Empire's, uh, like, Gmail system or something. <laughs> that's right. Uh, I have deep. to say, though, that's a huge take back is the Knights of Ren yeah. are so goddamn pathetic Real and stupid down. and useless. They're, they're nothing. Yeah. Uh, like, also, another take back. Uh, the Emperor's uh, guards, the Red Guards, mm. two of them are killed by being pushed. <laughs> yeah. Like, Ray pushes one and it falls over like five feet behind him. And Ben pulls one like, not good, like 20 feet towards him. But like, 
that's not enough to kill a, a guy in armor. That's ridiculous. In the case of the Knights of Ren, like maybe we did ourselves a disservice. We were definitely misled. It's not entirely our fault, but we just it spent was in the so- goddamn first teaser trailer, I think, for The Force Awakens. The cover of the visual dictionary. Like we are led to believe mm. that this is going to mean a little more. Mm. But and it, it is could not have meant less. We get like the, just a quick second. It's not enough for it to be gratifying, but down there in the dark, we get the first tone of Duel of the Fates. And I'm like, ah, ah. every time I hear it, I'm like, is, are we going to get two notes this time? No, it's still just the one note. Yeah, and there's a lot of that um, down in the Exegol Caves. Uh, there's lots of just little signals to other uh, themes. It is... Yeah, it's disappointing that Duel of the Fates isn't kind of rehashed in some way. Right. Um, but there are lots of good moments, and there are some takebacks in this. Uh, you want to go through some of those? You want to do takebacks? I mean, we've kind of talked about a lot of them already. I will just um, single out R2 and 3PO. I think it's supposed to be more um, gratifying mm. than, it, than it, it is. It feels very conversationally contrived to me, and it's kind of overly tidy. Where Agreed. I, I mean, I'm okay with them being like, wait a second, 3PO does have his memories. It just feels like... There was there were no stakes here, and he also yeah. is kind of talking strange. He doesn't really sound like three PO to me for some reason. It, he sounds more like Anthony Daniels than anything in this twenty. It's yeah. I noticed it as well. I was like that is not as that's not as good of an effort as usual. Or maybe yeah. it's an age thing, or and that we're noticing because you you notice it with James Earl Jones and Darth Vader. Uh, he does not sound the same as he did in, you know forty five years ago, reasonably. Right. Um, a couple things though, like the nav can't tell which way is up from out there right. oh my god that's the reason that you're able to beat them <laughs> yeah jesus because you know they do mm-hmm. and that's how pride leads tries to lead them out so it's and it's also there's a ground so that's how they know which way is up yeah uh, it, it's it does not make sense like their plan is so so horrible it, it's cr- they don't deserve to have it work right um the ore box. Um, I mean, we already talked about how we don't like that there's yeah. horses, but specifically the line about like we can't we can't uh, destabilize their speeders. Why not? Because they're not speeders, and then we see that they're horses. It's just very silly. Yeah, uh, Zori, so long, Sky Trash. Oh, brutal. Take a guess, Spice Runner. It's oh brutal. my god, brutal. If, terrible lines. If not for Babu Frick saving the day, it would be hey. all, the, the most cringy. Yeah, yeah, and uh, it's just like this is a character we also didn't need. Uh, it looks cool, but you didn't need to put in all the advertising so that we thought that they had a chance of being anything more than that. I kind of struggled um, for trivia. Um, my first, I have one decent trivia question, but it's my master question. My Padawan question, right. I suspect you'll I suspect you'll get this. How many Knights of Ren are there? Ooh. There have been different variations. I kind of meant versions. it down here. How many does he take? No, out? I know, I know yeah. but I'm just trying to think of like the, because I've seen so many different drafts. So I know that there are, uh, six distinct uh, drawings. I believe there's only ever been five that have been in the movies, though. Am there are there are six. Oh, there are six? Okay, then be- all six made. He has three in front of him and three enter behind okay. him, too, and he's kind of uh, surrounded. Yeah, no, then it might have been that they had seven drawings and that they ended up using six. Um, okay. Damn, I lost a Padawan question? I Shit. I know. What happened to you? Uh, I don't know. Um... What does Pride first deploy on the Rebels? What weapons does Pride first deploy on the Rebels? Uh, cannons? Is it like the undercarriage cannons? 
Uh, well, not undercarriage cannons. What are they called? What kind of cannons? I don't know. Think of Star Wars. Uh, um, I, I, I like like the planet planet killing cannons. Ion <laughs> cannons. Okay. <laughs> Very. Gonna, yeah, just buzzwords. Yeah. Your, I knew you were going to get this anyway. Um, but it's I guess it's kind of two part. Um, who is the original trilogy star pilot returning for a cameo in this twenty? And who is the actor portraying him? Uh, Dennis Lawson and Wedge Antilles. It is Dennis Lawson. Yeah. Does he have an, an, a career outside Star Wars? Because he's so immediately recognizable. Uh, he's Ewan McGregor's uncle. That's right. He, yeah, yeah. Yeah. He famously does not like his association with Star Wars. He can't hate it that much. No, but like it was, it was a bit of effort to get him in this. And let's face it, you only get him for one shot. So he's he's a bit of a wet blanket. Well, what's his problem? I don't know. Probably a conventions thing. And uh, some people just don't like the the fame that Star Wars attracted. It attracted a lot of fame for people who didn't have even major roles and weren't oh. getting necessarily other roles, like but Dennis, were just as if Dennis Lawson can't go to Walgreens. He can. No, no, but I. My guess is resentment. I, I don't know, but my guess is resentment comes when you're like ten years later and you're only known for Wedge Antilles. Yeah, this one thing that didn't really get you paid that much, and you've never been able to get a role from it since. But you still get recognized by everybody and can't go anywhere. But there's no benefits from it. That's very reasonable so I, of you. Uh, it is reasonable of me because I don't. I think it's really snotty of him. Yeah. <laughs> because I, if you're in Star Wars, you'd be damn fucking grateful. But. Uh, I can only assume that he's had something else in the past, a la Kenny Baker and uh, Anthony Daniels' weird relationship that we'll never fully know who's at fault for. Uh, a Padawan question for me, a night question for me. Night question. Name one of the three things that make it difficult to navigate through um, the the mod entry point of uh, the Unknown Regions, that red crazy shit. Oh, um, I don't know temperature uh there was three it was magnetic cross fields gravity wells and solar winds oh interesting that doesn't even ring a bell sometimes this just comes out as like a hum to me it was right at the start and it was i think it was rose who said it it was rose or finn but they were talking to each other uh, do you have a master question or did you already ask me that one no uh that's this question here what does 3po suspect is wrong with r2 when he's told about the transmission from luke's x-wing Oh, crap. He kind of reports back like, gee, I, I think this must be happening to R2. I don't know. Is memory banks are malfunctioning or are you always... That's half of is it. Is that it? That's half of oh, it. Oh, really? Okay. Memory banks are malfunctioning and... Um, his memory bank is uh, crossed with his... Oh. Um, a communication receptors or something? Very close. His logic receptors. Basic, basically, oh, damn it. basically, he's saying something that's insane. R2 is saying something that's that's nuts. He's being illogical. Terribly sorry. I'm afraid Arthur's memory bank must be crossed with his logic receptors. He says he is receiving a transmission from Master Luke. I just winged that, so I guess I am uh, in 3PO's head more than I like. You have a reflex for it, I think. Uh, what does the call sign uh, of the fallen Snap Wexley have? What's his call sign? Uh, you mean like like Red 4, Red 5, that kind of call sign? Yes, I will give you a hint. It's not a color um, schematic. It's one of the other ones that's used in Star Wars. Not very often, but it is. Oh, I won't. I won't get it then, because all I can hear in my head is red leader. Probably not. Yeah, Alpha Three. It's Alpha Three. Okay. Yeah. 
One of those ones that if you had to just randomly guess, you could maybe have guessed if you didn't know it was Star Wars. Did but. he did he exist canonically in Star Wars before this trilogy? Uh, no, he's JJ's best friend, and oh. uh, he wanted a, a role basically. And they, I, I, or, or I'm sure JJ was like, "Hey, do you want a role?" And he was like, "I don't know. Give me like a wedge Antilles like role, just so I don't really need to do anything, just so I can kind of watch what's going on in the background." And that's kind of exactly what he gave him. If ever you find yourself being really a little, that's assumed. If ever you find yourself being a little cynical about your fandom of of JJ Abrams, um, it's a good listen. Him on uh, Conan O'Brien needs a friend. Not for any particular Star Wars reason, but he's just a he's a good hang, J.J. Abrams. Oh, absolutely. And I, I adore J.J. Abrams. And I, I believe very much so that this movie would suck way less if he had an extra year. Yeah. I think that it, the only reason this movie is so bad is because it's just so sloppy. It's not like it's not overall bad. It's just seriously, you couldn't come up with something better than that. Well, I'm sure they could have if they had a little bit more time. Um, but it's just, it's thrown together. And that was because JJ was given a, a deadline as opposed to, uh, an opportunity. And that's not what you want to do in star Wars. I still won't say it's bad, but it's, it's certainly deeply flawed. Sloppy is a, is a better way of putting it. I, sh yeah. I shouldn't call it bad because it's not bad. There are some phenomenal and wonderful parts of it. It's sloppy would be a better term. We have some good, like buzzy title type. Uh, quotes in this. I mean, obviously, Welcome to Exegol is a little corny. Uh, I think Stand Together, Die Together. I think that's a good one. Uh, but my, I, I think it should be absolutely the title is It Is Your Birthright to Rule. That's kind of cool. It's not like a memeable, memorable uh, movie defining quote. In fact, I will it doesn't define Ray at all. I will say I, I I wrote it as the title before I even watched the twenty because I remembered it was coming. All right. I, I I do think I like it, but it's also, there's some other good ones too. It is in your blood, our blood. Um, do it, make the sacrifice. Together, die together is a good one. Do it, make the sacrifice is another great line. Uh, not necessarily for um, for the the name of the the episode, but uh, Ben's ow. Um, oh yeah, this is another Alpine. one. It's not, it's not a good title, but all you want is for me to hate, but I won't. Not even you. Yeah, that is a good line. It's really her only good line. Of this. She doesn't talk much in this 20. She really doesn't. Um, it might be her only line, actually. Hmm. Uh, only you have the power to save them. Refuse and your new family dies. And with the stroke of her saver, the Sith are reborn. You know what's uh, a throwaway, but it's not half bad? We need to pull some Holdo maneuvers, do some real damage. Yeah, that's a funny one, because Holdo maneuver is how the fans coined the term. Yeah. And so they... they Drew that in. Um, and that was actually my backup uh, Padawan question. What were the odds of Holdo maneuvers? God. the Is that in the in this 20? Yeah, but it's like, what are the human, like, what would a human say? Not what would 3PO say? Right. I, I don't know. It's, it's one in a million. Oh, okay. As opposed to like one in 347,612. Well, thank you for not telling me the odds. Yeah, um, and now the power of the two restore the one true emperor. That's a good one. Long have I waited for my grandchild to come home. Yes, the long have I waited. Yeah. So epic. Yeah, he's yeah. He, he, Palpatine looks great. He looks disgusting. He looks way better in the next twenty. We I think we start the next twenty with uh, that image of him walking through the shadows with his new uh, like super emperor look. Yeah. And so that one is a good one to come from. Okay, well, that's pretty there much, was, that's it. 
Yeah, there's some other good moments, though, as well. Uh, the Ralph McQuarrie throne, the mm. fact that they finally used that is awesome. Yep. Uh, and it really is... It, it's disappointing that he doesn't sit in it until a little bit later, but he does eventually sit in it, thankfully. Uh, the two blue drawn sabers against Palpy is great. Oh, yeah. Um, that was uh, that was a bummer, though, for me, because I saw that shot a couple months before. Right. Uh, that, that was one of the shots I saw, and I, I couldn't believe it, because I what I had seen was there was... There's two shots, and I knew them, and one of them was Palpatine shooting the lightning up, and that was the one I, I had seen uh, previously, concept art, and I had heard about it, and I was like, okay, this is fine, so I just wanted to get a closer look at the image, and then, of course, there was two images in the album, and the first image was the other one. You couldn't have known it was Leia's saber, though. No, but I kind of put it together because I was two months prior to, so I had enough time to think about it, right. and it just made sense. Especially as soon as I knew, as soon as Luke gave the saber, I knew it was it was. Right. <laughs> that was pretty obvious then. And um, when he said, "Also, you'll take both sabers to Exegol," um, which he even gives that away as opposed to just remembering. It's nice that Ray is also in the Red Five X-wing. That's cool. Yes, of course. And I also like the way that the life draining is kind of the opposite of force lightning in the way that it comes from his hands, but it's also like absorbing energy for life as opposed to killing energy that's being pushed out so it's kind of cool in that regard uh, there can't be a whole lot else to say about this 20 no that's it that's it okay this, this chanting sith ghosts as well uh, uh, in that giant room with the hoods some people think that's a little bit weird i think it's uh enough sith alchemy and magic that it kind of works because feel, it's a ex exegol's a magical place it is i feel a little underserved by it it just it's missing something for me Oh, yeah, it, it's all missing something yeah. for me. So there's not a whole lot of uh, Star Wars news, but let's hit what we got. Yeah, the only news comes in Mando Season 2. Yep. Really, that's it. And it comes in the form of two people, and it's likely two characters that we know before. And so uh, Bo-Katan, who was one of the main Mandalorians introduced in The Clone Wars and then again in Rebels. Uh, at the end of Rebels, she is actually the leader of Mandalore. Uh, her sister, uh, Satine, was the Duchess of Mandalore, who was a pacifist during the Clone Wars. She was murdered by Maul because Maul knew that uh, Obi-Wan was in love with her. And it was a good opportunity for Maul to make Obi-Wan hurt. Right. And so he took that. Um, so that was her sister. But she's always been more of a, you know, move by force, the old Mandalorian warrior mindset, but kind of came to an even keel at uh, a point at the end of Rebels. So it was interesting. We don't know this really what happened with Mandalore during the original trilogy time period from the Empire, but it clearly became extremely fractured, extremely fractured in just those few years. Because, uh, so sorry, Bo-Katan, who is voiced by Katie Sackhoff, uh, who's in Battlescar Galacta, has done a, many um, live action sci-fi uh, products. Uh, so she does the voice of Bo-Katan and is, um, rumored slash confirmed to be in Mando season two. Right. So that will uh, now link the old culture of uh, kind of the Mandalorians prior to uh, the original trilogy. And now we're going to get it after. So it'll be interesting to see how Moff Gideon came in there and screwed shit up for them. Uh, there's also, I mentioned a little while back, uh, Sasha Banks, who's a wrestler or a fighter of sorts. Um, and so it's interesting when they cast those people because in certain instances, they're maybe not a great actor or actress like Gina Carano, her first film, uh, I think Haywire might be, I think it was called Haywire. Um, 
her, she was dubbed over, for yeah, example, right. because she wasn't a good enough actress at the time. Um, it also makes sense that the voice actress for Sabine in uh, Rebels would be the one they would want to bring back because as a Mandalorian character, the voice is more important than the actual face because right. they wear the helmet so much. And so there's also belief that uh, Tia Sakar, who did the voice of Sabine, who was one of the main characters in Rebels and went off with Ahsoka at the end of the epilogue of Rebels, uh, that she will be the voice to uh, the Sasha Banks will just play the physicality and the face of Sabine. And so that way wow. it will be kind of a, a Darth Maul situation where you have somebody who does the the vocal performance and somebody else does the physical performance, which is kind of cool that they're going to maybe try that again. And it's a very, very logical rumor. So that one could be kind of interesting and, and exciting to bring a character with that much depth in. We'll call that composite acting. Ooh, that's a good way of putting it. Yeah. Uh, and then, of course, the big one is uh, Timothy Oliphant. Dope. So that's really exciting. The king of Western TV uh, is coming to a uh, galaxy far, far away. And uh, in a reveal that uh, surprised a lot of people, um, but I didn't really get a chance to put my theory out there, and it was exactly what I expected, there's nothing that screams cowboy sheriff more than Timothy Oliphant. Oh. And we were on Tatooine. We, who's the sheriff of Freetown Tatooine? A guy named Cobb Vanth. Cobb Vanth found some old shitty Mandalorian armor in the sand of Tatooine took it up and started to, you know, push around his weight and throw some fear into people's eyes in Freetown. He was the, he became the sheriff of Freetown wearing that Boba Fett armor. And so Timothy Oliphant is rumored to be in the Mandalorian. And we're also rumored to have Timora Morrison and Timothy Oliphant is the one rumored to be in Boba Fett's armor. So right. who is Boba Fett? Sheriff Cobb Banff. It's the only person it makes possible sense for. And so that's really cool as well. And so Timora Morrison Maybe he was the one with the spurs, or maybe it was Timothy Oliphant was the one with the spurs. So it could be interesting to see who walked up to the end of Fennec Shan in that episode five, whether that's how Boba Fett's going to come into it, or that's how we're going to be introduced to Boba Fett's armor. So that's very interesting. He just has the perfect charisma for Star Wars. I don't know why I didn't see it before. He's he's built for it perfectly, comedically and just, just uh, in terms of his energy. Absolutely. I've got a list of about, like, I don't know, probably 20, just every once in a while, just my random Star Wars thoughts list, uh, just 20 different actors who should be in Star Wars. And I think he was second on the list. And so oh. I was, yes, finally. And that's what you need. You need to have people like, when you just watch the gallery, you just know that Favreau and Filoni have this in the bag. Yeah. They know what they're doing. They do. They are, they're the guys who should be running everything creative for Star Wars, period, full stop. They get my sign and my sign sealed until Filoni d dies. Like they, they, they know, they know Star Wars and it's something that they can carry the torch in the right way. And I even heard like Bryce Dallas Howard said something really great in, in the first episode of the gallery, cause I'm a little behind on it, but she said, I, we didn't want to make Star Wars, um, in the image of how it impacted us. We wanted to make Star Wars in the image of Star Wars yeah. and how it impacted everybody. Well said. And so that was ultimately the way she said that, I don't know if it was a shot at, but really goes to show where Ryan Johnson's fatal flaw was. Maybe. He made a Star Wars based on his interpretation of Star Wars and how it impacted him, not Star Wars and how it is what it is. That would be very, very hard to distinguish while you're in it. it oh, my God. It would be insanely hard. And that's yeah. it's not something you could ever remotely 
uh, take for granted. And that's why it's something that Star Wars fans, we're very, very lucky to have Favreau and Filoni, like to have Filoni get this much information from George Lucas to be able to continue it on and then have him be great friends with somebody who's a technology and uh, creative visionary in film like Favreau. Yeah. And so the fact that you're able to get that technology thing as well and the volume and some of the interesting things they've been doing there. Uh, and some also things came up as well with television that this technology was all the technology George Lucas wanted to use um, way back when. But mm -hmm. it was, of course, way more expensive and it was going to be for ABC and so he could never get the funding for it. Uh, but there was also some information that came out this week that they had, like, I think it was 48 or maybe it was just mid 40s. They had 48 scripts for George Lucas's underground TV show. Wow. And so he didn't write them, but he like went through all of them and workshopped each script with the writer. And so there's 48 George Lucas approved TV show scripts out there. I wonder if they're any good. There has to be some gold in there. There has. That's the thing. Yeah. I don't, they shouldn't be made. But the interpretations, elements, um, even maybe the overall theme, like there, there's all, I'm sure 90% of it is gold. And so that's what's like, it, it's, I'm, I'm hoping, and maybe, maybe that's what the Cassian show has got a lot of stuff from. Oh, that maybe. could be interesting. Yeah, totally. It comes from a rebel perspective during that time period. And that little like five minute Elizabeth Olsen thing on Coruscant that we, that I saw, like, I don't know. Maybe it makes sense. That could be really interesting. So it's there and maybe it could provide the basis for a couple different TV shows. So that could be cool. Time will tell. Absolutely. And that is it. Okay, that's it. Well, uh, listen, we didn't do a podcast last week so that we missed the opportunity to uh, acknowledge the 40th anniversary of Empire Strikes Back, yes. which was last week. That's a huge one. Best Star Wars movie ever. Uh, did you see the Rotten Tomatoes thing? The best summer movies? No. It's a it's a funny Reddit thing, and so there was they did the best summer movies of all time, and I forget how many there was. There was like sixty or some odd. But in the final eight, there was I think five Star Wars movies, mm -hmm. and Revenge of the Sith was slaughtering everything because of prequel memes. It was just beating the living hell out of anything. Right. So some guy w jokingly um, made a bot for The Dark Knight Rises, and so every poll had around a million answers. And Dark Knight Rises versus Revenge of the Sith had thirty one million answers. Ooh. <laughs> And Rotten Tomatoes apparently didn't think that that was a problem. They even wrote about it saying, this impressive poll broke all our numbers. I'm like, oh my God, oh, you no. fucking idiots. If Revenge of the Sith is winning by like 95% every poll up to it, and Dark Knight Rises loses by 95% the poll right after, but won the 31 million, there's something wrong. But anyway, right. Empire Strikes Back, uh, I believe, was the winner of that. That's the reason why I brought it up. Naturally. Happy birthday, uh, Monday the 25th to Frank Oz. This is a really good Star Wars awesome. birthday week, by the way. Uh, Tuesday the 26th to Peter Cushing. And Wednesday the 27th to both Paul Bettany and Christopher Lee. Some heavy hitters in this week's Star Wars birthdays. Definitely. And May is an important month. It's got the maker. And it's funny you, uh, you mentioned The Dark Knight because the trailer came out for Tenet this week. The, the long trailer. And it seemed a little too easy... For us to discuss John David Washington. We've done Pattinson. We've done Pattinson. I think we did John David Washington one time before too. Uh, any day of the week for John David Washington well, as well. That's what struck me as uh, I kind of remembered. I was like, I know he's going to pick John David Washington, so I don't even want to talk about that. But yeah. uh, in terms of like older British guys in Tenet, if you got to cast one in Star Ooh. Wars, is it going to be Kenneth Branagh or Michael Caine? Kenneth Branagh. Oh, that was quick. Yeah. Um, Michael Caine's great. 
but Michael Caine is Michael Caine. Uh, his voice, his look, everything about him. You could have him be uh, like a Dryden Voss type character who's not like physical in that yeah. regard. Like you could have him be somebody who's mob like boss. very, yeah, mob boss, rich, not necessarily, like you can keep him at a 10 foot pole. You're not going to necessarily be used that much. But Kenneth Branagh, you can do any of those things with as well. But he he kills your could he be Beckett test. Totally. He does. absolutely could be Beckett any yeah. day of the week. Yeah. You can make him a good guy politician, a bad guy politician, uh, a general on a good guy fleet, a general on a bad guy fleet. You could make him uh, a Sith like an emperor, not necessarily an active one. You could make him uh, like a council sitter like Mace Windu or Coyote Mundy. He could be damn near anything. He could be a good mentor uh, like Qui-Gon, uh, I'd say actually, yeah. if you're going to pick anything, that would be what I would go with. I'd say uh, a Qui-Gon-like mentor uh, who has to die heroically for the plot to move forward. So like a sagely Jedi master? Yeah, I think he could be good in that regard. Maybe have a few things, like maybe not be as in tune with the Force as Qui-Gon was. Uh, and also it was interesting, there was other things Dave Filoni mentioned this week about how uh, Ahsoka fills uh, a spiritual void that Qui-Gon left. Mm. Uh, in just the galaxy and in the force and also directly in Anakin's life, interestingly. Uh, but yeah, I would, I would say that for, for Kenneth Branagh in terms of maybe somebody who plays by his own rules, not necessarily of the force, but of good intention. Okay, well, that's excellent. Uh, we don't have anything else to say. We have only one more 20 remaining in Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker. We'll cover that on next week's podcast. We wrapped up uh, this 20 at the 155 mark. So if you start there and watch the rest of the movie, you'll be caught up to us. Uh, by then. In the meantime, if you have any thoughts on this week's podcast or got a cast one, you can tweet us at Recorder66 or email Recorder66podcast at gmail.com. Please rate and review on your preferred podcast app so we can be found in other Star Wars related podcast lists or whatever. Never happens, but who knows? Someday it could. <laughs> and until we're together again, may the force be with you.